Thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of the Dream 10X podcast. In this episode, we're talking to a woman who participated in the Amazon Prime Series Echo Challenge Fiji Adventure Race as a member of Team Out There, who finished in 17th place overall out of 66 teams in just 196 hours and 54 minutes. She was also a professional mountain biker from 1995 to 2006 who consistently ranked in the top seven nationally with several podium finishes. She won the Trans Alps stage race twice, the Mountain Bike Marathon U.S. National Championships twice, and competed for the U.S. National Team at the World Championships several times. She is a certified public accountant and she lives in Vail, Colorado. Please welcome Gretchen Reeves. Tell us about how you got into mountain biking and what drove you to do that. Yeah, so um, so when I was in school at University of Georgia, um, we all had mountain bikes that we rode to school and, you know, just around town and whatnot. And, um, you know, there are a few trails around Athens and we'd go mess around on those. And um, one weekend, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, they're having this mountain bike festival in LJ, which is in like the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Georgia. And I was like, yeah, you know, let's go. So we had, you know, a group, we went up there and I mean, we were wearing like cutoffs and, you know, Tevas and um, goofy helmets and, you know, nobody had suspension. Like it was just uh, all hardtails and, and rigid forks and and we were riding these like like super technical trails, at least they seemed so at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the most thing I've ever done in my life. And um, it true, it just I was just got way into it. And um, and I got uh, you know suspension fork shortly thereafter, and the clipless pedals, and um, and then. I don't know, a year later, I, I had gone on a trip to Colorado and um, they're having world championships in Durango. And I was like, what is this? Like, I want to do this. And yeah, so like all the top, you know, mountain bikers in the world were there. And uh, yeah, it just kind of fell into my lap, to be honest. Um, I, I worked at a bike shop in Atlanta for a short time and met another pro and he was like, you need to do the Norba series. And I said, what's the Norba series? And it was the national series at that time that would, you know, so we go all over the country and race and uh, picked up a sponsor and um, yeah, I just started racing and I just loved it. And um, that, that's it. I mean, I, I just, I, I wanted to do it. And so I moved to Colorado in 95 and um, because we, because a lot of the races at the time were at ski areas because they had the infrastructure to, you know, have downhill races and cross country and all the other events that they have there. Um, and so I came to Vail to altitude train and I ended up staying because the people here are awesome and it's just a great place. So um, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of, you know, it's definitely transitioned from mostly being a professional athlete to mostly being a CPA accountant now, but, um, but it's more fun to talk about the athletic stuff. Right. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, was that one sponsor you had enough to, uh, survive on and, and train on? So my first, um, my first sponsor, um, was basically they paid my expenses and you know my equipment and things like that and so it wasn't enough like i had a part-time job um pretty much the whole time most of the time that i was racing i had you know some part a part-time job because you know for one thing it's not even if you're at the top level you're you're not making a huge income but you are making enough to like train and and not work a lot, which is like a dream, you know, it's like a dream, right? It's, it was, uh, I didn't care that I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, 
And so I, uh, but, but it would, it works out really, I think it's actually good to have like something else going on besides just racing, because when you're just racing, you, all of your like self worth is tied into that is tied into your racing and your results. And, um, at least it was for me. And so if I had a bad race, I was super, yeah, I get super, get kind of down. And then if I had a great race, I'd be, you know, top of the world. And so it's, it's good to have that other thing going on so that you, you have something else to focus on besides just racing. Um, so that's, you know, at least that that's how it was for me. And I was also learning, you know, a skill while I was mountain bike racing. So I had something, you know, set up, you know, when I was basically done with that part of my life. That's an interesting perspective um, because a lot of athletes who are trying to do something big uh, in athletics, whether it's um, Olympics or, you know, mountain biking or triathlon or whatever, paying for that, uh, your lifestyle is an important consideration and how to balance that, that, uh, the work that you need to do to get an income and then also carve out a large part of your day to do your training. I I mean, I agree with that, you know, and, and I think it takes some time to figure out that balance Hmm. because, you know, when you're, when you, especially if you're a triathlete, like an Ironman triathlete, you have to do, put in a lot, a lot of time. And that, I think that that would be really tough, but with mountain biking, I, I found that when I, that they, when I wasn't working, I, I would overtrain because, you know, it was like, well, I feel like I, I need to be doing something. I need to be working at my job. And so I would just train too much and, you know, it, it ended up working out well in the long run, you know, in you know, later years, but I actually just, uh, that, that work was something that helped me, you know, not overtrain because I had to be specific with training and not just go out and ride for five hours and put in junk miles is what we call it. So how do you um, know if you're overtraining? Well, um, there are a lot of signs, you know, that, that you are basically, um, you know, if you, if you are going into a race and you're, you're, you're tired for every race, if you don't have, um, the ability to hit your, you know, your intensity, um, goals, like if you can't get your heart rate up to, you know, your zone five or some people experience, you know, have different, um, symptoms like have a time getting out of bed, um, have a hard time sleeping, you know, just all kinds of, um, ways that you can, all kinds of symptoms you can have from overtraining. But for me, it was like, I was doing all this training and then I would go to a race and just, you know, some of the races, just didn't go like they, I was expecting them to based on my training. So, um, it really helped me to work with a coach, at least for some, you know, some periods in my um, career, because they said, Hey, you know, they're looking at it from a different perspective and like, Hey, you're doing way too much volume. You need to, you need to do shorter, harder workouts and, you know, make sure you're resting and resting is, is so hard for athletes. Um, mm-hmm. it's just like, you have to have, it takes courage to, to take it easy. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, but, but you got to do it. You yeah. got to recover. How important to you has interval training, high, high intensity interval training been? Well, I, it's crucial in, um, you know, depending on what kind of race you're doing and, and even for long distance races, which, you know, for me might be like a five to seven hour yeah. mountain bike race. I still want to do, um, intervals for that because you have, um, you know, there may be parts of the course where you want to pass someone or you want to, you know, you want to be able to sustain a certain um, intensity for like a long climb. So it, no matter, I think what length the race is, I think intervals are very important. And, and what altitude are you at there? You're in the Vale area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? just um, down Valley a bit from the, uh, like the actual town of Vale, but um, we're at about 7,500 feet here. Okay. Wow. So that's, that's a, a good, a good height to be trading at as well. That's a good height for um, Patagonia for sure. But um, what the interesting thing is that, you know, when we go to low altitude, um, those races would actually be, could actually be pretty difficult because you feel good. Like maybe you feel good when you first get down, you, you 
you know, climbing is, is if it's a long climbing, you know, kind of race, it, it would be, you know, very good for us. But like, <clears throat> like a race, say where there's, it's a flatter course and you're doing like these sh little short climbs, like up and down and kind of punchy climbs. It would be so hard because our muscles, um, like you, you don't have enough oxygen for you here to, um, put in the intensity that you can at low altitude, if that makes sense. Um, cause at low altitude, you can go super hard and recover and here you just, you just don't have that much oxygen. So, you know, you can't recover and you can't put in those efforts. So there is, there's definitely, you know, there's a big advantage, but there's, a, there are also some disadvantages to it. What's, what are the distances involved in the, in the mountain bike races that you typically go to? So the last few years I've, I've mostly been doing, um, endurance marathon races. And so the distances would be somewhere between 50 to a hundred miles. Hmm. And honestly, you see quite a few of the, um, we'll say mature, more mature athletes going to these races after they've done cross country for several years. Cause it's, it's kind of hard. It's hard to retire. It's hard to just stop. And, um, and so, but you have all these years of training and you can ride for a long time at, yeah. a, at a good pace, but the, the intensity is, I just, I have little desire to do short races anymore or basically no desire. Yeah. I feel the same way about rowing. I, I still want to do the movement, but I, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't want to do the fast sprints anymore. Just yeah. Like the long, slow stuff. <laughs> exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So. Keep you moving. Are you also running? I do run, um, and I do some running races just to, to stay in shape and, you know, for like the trekking sections of say, um, an adventure race or, um, just because I like it. I love trail running. I don't, I don't like running on the road at all, but, um, but yeah, we have just tons of trails here and I, I'll go out and do like a big loop and it's just, it's really cool and fun. But I am not running fast. I am definitely running like at an at an AR pace, which is slow and with a pack on and all that stuff. So. Oh, that's good to hear. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> adventure what? race. Adventure oh, race. Okay. Pace. <laughs> so an AR uh, pace is an adventure race pace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Good. That's our pace. <laughs> <laughs> that means our adventure race pace is going to be really slow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of, um, it, it's definitely, it doesn't do you any much good to, to in certain times, I think that you want to maybe get out in front, like at the beginning of a race or get out of like a pack, you know, for whatever reason. But, um, especially at, at an expedition race, it's, you gotta be steady and you can't blow yourself up. That's for sure. So. Yeah. I act, I worked with a in my previous job worked with a woman who was also uh, I don't know if she was considered professional but she was she was a really good mountain biker um, and I knew nothing about that that uh, that sport like uh, what is that like what are the distances involved like in, in rowing you typically have a two thousand meter sprint and then you have a six thousand meter long distance race in the fall what what are kind of the analogs in the mountain biking world. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for, and they've kind of changed a little bit since I was doing like the national circuit. Um, but now so that the, they have what is called XCO, which is like an Olympic distance. And those, those courses are usually about an hour and a half. They, they don't really go by distance. They go by time. Hmm. So, um, so for the women's race, like the, the winner would be coming in at about an hour and a half. Um, and the men would be somewhere like 145, something like that. Um, and then they have a short track, which is a 20 minute race and, and, um, basically like a, almost like a criterion, but on mountain bikes. And, um, and then you get into the marathon races, which could be that that's, there's not really a set distance for that either, but I'd say like, like normally the, um, like the national marathon to be somewhere between like four to five hours of racing. And, um, and then you just run the gamut of like, there's so many stage races out there now where you, you know, five to seven days of racing, long days, short days. Um, there's just so many options now for, 
getting out there on your mountain bike. So. Is there a governing body that kind of oversees all these, the standards for the races? Yes. Yeah, so there's USA Cycling and then there's UCI, which is the International Mountain Bike Association, Mountain Bike Governing Body. Um, it's been around for a, a long time, USA Cycling. And then they determine like who goes to world, who goes to the Olympics and, you know, they still do drug testing. So they would come to my house and randomly and I'd have to pee in a cup in front of some, okay. <laughs> I'm serious. And yeah, they would just, they should knock on your door and, oh, great, you saw it is here. And, <laughs> and you'd have to pee in a cup. And, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's uh, kind of nerve wracking because they're literally like watching you pee so that you don't slip anything weird into the cup. And um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's legit <laughs> that way. <laughs> Uh, well, how do they, um, so I guess in mountain biking, you've got different, so you said some of the, the tracks were like technical, like what, what governs what a technical path is? Like, how do you compare apples to apples between all the races in terms of speed and stuff? I, I think, um, I think what, like now what they're doing is they're, they're doing shorter courses. Um, so maybe it's going to be like a, a five, a five kilometer course that you do laps on. And, and a big reason for that is so that it makes it more spectator friendly. Mm. So, um, Red Bull TV covers it and it's, um, it's so fun to watch. Like the women's races are just, I love watching those, their world cup races. Um, so they, and they actually have like built in obstacles now, which when I was racing, we, you know, we, that wasn't really happening because we were just riding like old hiking trails that became mountain bike trails, you know, and those, those are, are very, can be very technical courses, but then they also design these other courses to have just like, you know, jumps and drops and things like that. So mm -hmm. they're, it is fun. It's spectator friendly, like I said. And, um, and then I think they just determine the number of laps by like, you know, what they believe that lap times will be. And so that's how they, that works. Okay. Interesting. What kind of bike do you have? Uh, which one? Um, <laughs> okay. I have, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, boy. Pam Boatler, who's uh, an Olympic uh, outrigger, canoer, uh, paddler, paddler mm -hmm. and she's got tons of different types of boats that she likes. To ever, you know, so people who love their sport generally have lots of tools, I guess. How many bikes? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean the bike of the bikes that I I ride often. Um, I have a, a one road bike, and then I have uh, like a trail bike, which is for more like enduro. I mean, not really enduro riding, but if I'm riding something like big mountain, more technical, or Moab kind of riding. Um, and then I have my cross country race bike, and um, they're all Scots, by the way. They're awesome. And then I have a, a, a fat bike, a snow bike, which I don't ride very much because hmm. I'd rather go ski than ride my, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to ride my bike in the winter. I'd rather go skiing. And, um, and then, you know, my townie that I ride around town. So I guess that's five. Wow. Do you have a car? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a truck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just wondered if you were. Got a truck. <laughs> And okay. then we have yeah. a ton yeah. of boats as well and all that stuff, but we're, I guess we're still talking about biking. So, um, what kind of boats do you have? My, um, boyfriend, uh, he was on the U S raft team for several years. And I don't know if you heard about this, but they did, uh, they did a speed run on the grand Canyon and, um, they've done actually attempted it twice now. And so they built this huge, uh, a huge raft, um, and they they rode it instead of um, you know paddling it like you normally would a raft, uh -huh. and uh, they actually did a, like a, a film on it, and um, it's somewhere on the internet <laughs> on YouTube, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So he so he paddles a lot. So we have um, sea kayaks, whitewater kayaks, paddle boards. Um, I, I don't even dory. You got a dory boat raft? But yeah, Kurt built the dory. Yeah. Okay. What kind of dory is it? Um, a handmade. I mean, he uh, he is a wooden. It's a wooden dory, and it's uh, it is really fun to take on the river. Yeah, because they're flat it's bottom sweet. boats, so they're good for that. 
I used to have a gunning dory and I just, I love that boat. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and the fact so that he made it himself, that's really interesting. I, I, that's one of my small dreams is to make my own boat one day. Yeah, well, I guess I got someone you can talk to <laughs> if you have any questions. <laughs> cool. So you're just an overall, all around outdoor, you love the outdoors. I love that. I do. It's a, it's a little bit too much. I mean, I, I might love it a little bit too much. It interferes with, um, you know, serious life sometimes, I guess, but that's okay. <laughs> serious life? What's that? You mean like professional? Oh, work. Yeah. yeah. Work and mostly work, I guess. What do you, so since we're on the topic, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm a CPA and um, we work with mostly small business clients. We work with a lot of athletes and we know that, um, and I say we, that um, the guy that works with me is also a professional mountain bike racer. <laughs> and um, so we just have a great system for our athlete clients. And it's it's nice to be able to help, you know, some of the, the, the new, you know, younger athletes getting into it, like we can, you know, help them get started. And then when they get to, you know, the big time, we um, help them set up their, you know, their businesses or corporation or whatever, however mm -hmm. you decide to do that. Um, and then we work with uh, other businesses besides, uh, besides athletes. It's a great, you know, balance. Mm -hmm. And um, the last two years have been pretty tough just with what's happened in the tax world and the um, COVID obviously, but I am so lucky. I like all of my clients. It is, it's amazing place to be where you, nobody, nobody gets on your nerves. It's, it's just cool. So <laughs> I'm lucky for that. And, uh, but it takes some time, it takes some time to get there. I'm living the life I, I chose to live and that's pretty, pretty darn lucky, I guess. That is very, and, uh, and that's one of the reasons so, I want to talk to you. <laughs> How can we learn from you to, to live the life we want to live? Well, you just kind of have to to make it happen. I mean, and and we I I talk about this with my friends because you know we say oh you know sometimes I feel almost guilty because I every day even like a kind of a crappy day here is still really good, hmm. you know. I mean, and 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 what I mean by that is like okay, so maybe you know the weather's really bad or you you know you try to you know when I'm in, on a deadline at work it's it's really a challenging time, but there's there's a trail that's like, you know, five minutes from my office and I'll just go cruise up that trail and it just totally clears my head. I feel good. I come back to work and I'm refreshed and got some good views while I was at it. Like that's just a day in life, you know? And, um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great situation to be in, but I made this happen myself. Like I had no money when I came to Vail and I didn't have any debt either, which was, it's a huge, uh, right. that's a huge plus. But, you know, I, I lived on a shoestring budget for, you know, a few years and, but I, I wanted it to work. So I made it work. Well, what's your debt situation now? My home mortgage and uh, yeah, that's it. What is it? Debt equ equity ratio is, is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, well, one thing about racing to like mountain bike racing, it teaches you to be very frugal. Hmm. Um, you know, you have to live within your means or you're not going to be able to you know, do what you want to do and also, you know, race and also, you know, make, make it, make ends meet, I guess, and be comfortable with that. I, I my debt tolerance is low. So I, I worked, worked hard to not, not have much of that. Oh, that's very interesting. So do you still feel as free now as you did when you first moved out there? Oh, heck no. <laughs> I, I don't, um, I, you know, work is, is definitely taken, um, you know, it's taken a much bigger role in, in life and in the periods around the deadline and, and pretty much January through April is I'm jamming at work. Um, I do backcountry ski a lot. And so we, you know, I, I, I'll do that on the weekends and do shorter ski tours during the week, but, um, but it's a lot of work and it's very stressful. There are very stressful times and it's just, uh, I have to remember that, what comes after the deadlines to, you know, kind of get by on those for sure. So why did you start your own CPA firm at GretchenReevesCPA.com? I did that so that I could have my own schedule and um, I figured have summers off for the rest of my life, but it <laughs> didn't turn out that way. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
in the beginning, it was, you know, I, I, it was, it was a good balance because I, I was still racing and I had that income. And then, you know, I started with just a, you know, a few clients and then of course it builds up every year after that. And, and, uh, you know, it's at some point it shifted to being like, Oh, now you're mostly an accountant. So it's just interesting to me. Um, how people try to, when we're younger, we're, you know, chasing a dream. And then at some point, whether it's the mortgage or whatever, that, you know, the priorities shift to paying for our lives and, and trying to make more and more money to kind of pay for our lives. And, and we kind of lose the freedom, I think, sometimes as an adult. You know, I've, I've definitely had conversations with my partner about he's also self-employed. He has a landscaping business. And um, so our busy seasons are kind of opposite of each other. And we've had conversations about like, how can we, um, you know, at what point do we say, okay, like we need to scale back on, on this so we can do more of this. And, um, and for me, it was like, well, I'm going to wait, I'm going to get to the point where I just can't handle it. And, um, and that's when I know I need to cut back and I am at that point now. So, um, and so it was, how do you do that? And that's sort of what I'm working on right now is, um, you know, ways to make, uh, you know, the busy seasons more manageable. And um, so it's not just taking over my life for two or three months of the year. How did you transition then from uh, your professional mountain biking career into a more uh, long distance adventure racing kind of thing? So that was, um, that happened around, um, I guess, 2006. I, um, you know, I'd been racing for about 10 to 12 years, I guess, just mountain biking. And, um, and then around that time period, there was, there's kind of a, a slump in like mountain bike sponsorship. And what happened was, um, the, so the, the Norva series used to be, uh, was, is televised. So when it's televised, it's going to bring on a lot more monetary sponsors than when it's, when it's not right. So, um, when, when that got pulled, it really hurt the sponsorship dollars for mountain bike racing. And so I was like, okay, I can see the writing on the wall here. Um, I'm going to keep doing this for as long as I can, but I'm going to start, start my business and just kind of just roll with it, see what happens. And, um, so I sort of retired from, I guess I tried to retire from cross country racing and then, um, and then I got invited to do an adventure race mm -hmm. and I just loved it. I was like, I get to do everything now. Like I get to paddle, I get to run, I get to get on the ropes and be scared. And, um, and I was so excited to, to learn these new, these new sports and, you know, it was, and, and I was on a team with three guys and I just loved, I just loved it. I, I mean, I, I'm a tomboy. So I just, I was like, this is like the best thing ever, you know? Oh. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I just I fell in love with that. And, and because I had some of those, those skills and I was already fit from bike racing, um, and girls that the, the girl was kind of hard to come by. I got a lot of invites once I started doing that <laughs> and so that was really cool. And, and then in Vail, there happens to be, um, you know, some of the top racers in the world. So I got on a really good team pretty early. So that was just pure luck, you know? So I couldn't say no because I wanted to travel and race and some of the races had really good prize money. And, um, so yeah, we, we started doing that and it was just, uh, so fun and, and continued to bike race while, you know, to stay shape and all that stuff. So, um, so Gretchen, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that, um, a lot of women don't do these kinds of things. So people that I interviewed and talked to for my dissertation and other, other areas talk about the same thing. So there were a couple of ocean rowers and river rowers who couldn't get women to take the time off or to train or to come participate in these sports. So there seems to be some sort of barrier. And why do you think that is? And have you experienced that in mountain biking as well? You know, I think, and, and things have evolved a lot since I first started, but um, I think part of it is just, um, and I'm going to use adventure racing as, as the example um, here, but 
I think there's some intimidation factor as you know, with for women racing with men, because if you are, especially if you're doing um, like a shorter race where the the pace is a lot higher, um, if you're racing with guys at your level, they're going to be faster than you, right? Mm-hmm. So that that can be intimidating. And if you're, I don't know, maybe if you're not used to being around guys so much you you don't necessarily like that part either i guess um but <laughs> but <laughs> you know they they might be concerned i don't know there there could be some concern about okay what happens if i have to pee or whatever you know and you, that just goes out the window after like the first five hours you know you just <laughs> you just get naked in front of people and you know it's whatever um but the, the thing is that that it's it, it's a little bit too bad because it, it is a team effort. And that's just the, the, what I loved about what I love about adventure racing so much. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, of like getting more, you know, if, if more women want to be involved, I, there, there's like a, um, there's like women only races that, that um, Nathan Fave put, puts them on and down in uh, New Zealand. So he's the guy that won eco challenge this last time. Hmm. And um, he had, I think over 2000 women at one of his races. And so that's a way for women to get involved in the sport and at that level. And then, you know, maybe then they can sort of get involved at a, at a higher level if they choose to. And, and I spoke, we, Nathan and I, I spoke to him when we were down there and he was telling us about it. He said it was so, it was so awesome because it was really getting more women into the sport and, um, and then just sort of, um, helping the the teams out that actually needed female racers as well. So yeah, that's pretty cool. cool. Like creating a safe space for them to learn and, and figure out their own barriers and boundaries and then, then really encouraging them to move forward. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love it. And, yes. and to be, and to be frank, like it, New Zealand actually has, is like the best um, terrain for adventure racing because it's a, it's an Island. Right. And so <laughs> they have mountains, they have, paddling galore they've got you know everything there in kind of a smaller like condensed area so um they probably have a higher number of adventure athletes per capita than anywhere else in the world i would think so um they're all they're all good they're all good (laughs) they're so tough so interesting is (laughs) the format for uh adventure racing to is the rule to have one woman on the team at least one woman for all adventure races or is it just some of them or what's the deal there for for most for most adventure races, um, any that I've ever done, there has to be at least one member of the opposite sex on the team. So and and I did do actually did one race in France where you there was they had like a mixed team and then male teams and female teams and so that's the only one I've done where they had like, you know, they had it split out like that. So you could just decide, choose if you which ones you wanted to do, I guess. So. Do you, why is that? Do you, what do you think the reason is behind that? I have gotten that question and I've thought about it a lot. I don't, I don't know exactly the reason, but I, I almost think it's one way to keep the teams more balanced, hmm. you know, in terms of like, um, in terms of like how, um, like the, in terms of like pace, I guess. So like, for example, if you, if they allowed like male teams to, you know, to be like all male teams, all female and mixed in a, in a race like eco, like the all male teams would just be way so far ahead of like the mixed teams and it, possibly not, not necessarily for eco challenge, but like in some of these other races we did, I, I, the male teams would, would destroy, you know, the, the other teams. So I think that's one, one reason, but I also feel like it's a kind of a safety factor. Um, so so for example, like when, when we, um, when we did like avalanche training, um, the statistics of getting into an avalanche and, and into a fatal avalanche is, is less when you have a woman in the group. <laughs> and that's because, and I'm like, that's right. Women are smarter. We know this. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that there's, I, I don't, I don't know the, actual reason for that but i but i think that you know in general like men are going to be they're going to want to protect females that's sort of in in their nature um but i also think that women are just they they have their sense of self 
our sense of self-preservation is higher than that of males, generally speaking. And um, did, did, do you agree with that? I mean, does that? I, I would agree um, with that. <laughs> just well, all friends and colleagues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just more calculated with our decisions. Like that's how that's how. Thank you for not saying. Females that. are are. <laughs> That's a part of our chemistry, right? <laughs> and uh, um, so I, I think there's I, that would be my guess as to why, but I actually haven't. I, I could probably research it and find out, but I don't know the answer to that, the exact answer to that. But uh, that's my guess. I mean, I, I do find the four-person teams really intriguing about adventure racing because. Uh, you, so many things have to go right in order to get four people on the same team across the finish line over that distance. Um, and even when you think about an individual doing an Ironman, so many things have to go right just for that individual to get to the starting line and to finish that race. And so when you add four people to something that's uh, six times as long as an Ironman, like there's so many parts to that that calculus of even completing that race, it's really mind boggling. And then to add, you know, the female facet into that, I'm not saying, I think it's a really intriguing thing to me. I think it's interesting, but, um, yeah, going back to how you got into that first adventure race, who, who wasn't invited you and have you stuck with that team the entire, is it the, the team captain for team out there? Was that your first one or was it a different team? Uh, no, it was, um, it was well actually my very first one was here in Vail. Um, because they have the GoPro games here every year and and um it's a pretty big event. And um I actually got invited to race with a couple of guys from here. One of them's a, a you know, one of my best friends, he's a a fellow mountain bike racer, and then the other guy had been adventure racing for so at that time it was the Nike team. And um so they were one of the biggest teams in the world at that time. Wow. And so I was like, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. You know, I have a free weekend. And, um, and so it was just a short, it was like a six hour race. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is so fun. And, and, you know, we, got, we got second one surprise money and that's always like pretty cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was my, my first like little one that I did. And then I was, I started talking to, you know, friends, adventure racer friends. And I was like, Hey, if anybody needs a girl and, you know, just kind of started getting invites from there. Um, I raced with a team that uh, three guys that I didn't know at all. And um, that was, that was really fun. Uh, we had a great time. I raced with two guys that um, told me that, um, that they were experienced paddlers. And I was like, cause I, I was like, I don't paddle at all. So I need to be in the boat with somebody that knows how to paddle. And they're like, oh yeah, no, we, we, we can paddle. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so we get into like class three water and in the springtime it's, it's, so it's, it's just, uh, the, it's jamming. The water's just flowing. Yeah. And so the three of us get into this one ducky and they're about the same. They're not much bigger than I am. They're runners. And, um, wait, what does that mean? What's a ducky? <laughs> What's a runner? Okay. A ducky. So a ducky is is like a like a, a blow up wrap that looks like a canoe kind of. Okay. Um, and it, and they're used a lot in adventure races because they're safer than like getting into a hard plastic kayak, you know, plastic boat. They're they're more stable. Um, so I get in with these these two guys and the waters and I mean people are there were several rescues on the river that day, and um just with so, somebody got caught in a strainer and there's people out of the boats everywhere and so. I'm sitting in the middle. Both these guys fall out of the boat. And I don't, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do here. And there's a, there's a safety kayaker. And he says, you need to get into an eddy now. And I was like, what's an eddy? And, <laughs> Who's and, <that>? uh, <laughs> I know I was, I was like, um, I was really probably one of the scariest times in my life um because i that you can easily die in the rivers here in colorado they're super cold and just a lot of entrapment places where you can get trapped and sucked under the water and um so i got i got the boat over and one dude was like way down the river and the other guy got he got out of the river and i was like we are walking this boat the rest of the way because i am not getting back in this boat with you guys and um so so the uh moral of that story is to make it's good to know who you're racing with and making sure that 
they have experience and it's also good to be have some experience at least a remedial knowledge of like you know what you're going to be doing in the race and um so that was a lesson learned there for sure like i learned how to kayak i started kayak, <laughs> learning how to kayak the next week i was like i'm not doing that again so yeah so do you know how to um, do eskimo rolls and all that oh oh man um i i practice rolls and like right i mean i'd probably if i tried to roll right now i don't think i <laughs> It just gets in your head and it's so hard to, yeah. I was about 50-50 at my best, I think. So 2006-ish is when you started getting into adventure racing. How many did you do between then and when you hooked up with Team Out There? Well, so I don't know how many, gosh, there's quite a few. And we did some, we did a lot of races in China because they um, they basically paid our way there. And um, there's a lot of, uh chinese government they no kidding printing. yeah yeah they print printing apparently they're printing dollar bills over there too um, <laughs> um yeah i mean seriously like it was uh they would pay us in benjis um us dollars and um okay. so we would yeah and so so the team so the nike team so that was uh so nike is um my closer, and I don't, do you know who Mike Closer is? You've heard of him? He's a team all? captain for a team out there, right? Yes, and he's he's probably, um, maybe other than Nathan um, Fave, he's, he is, has the most, uh, you know, he's the most decorated adventure athlete in the world. Okay, wow. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's extremely good, and um, so he lives in Vail, and so there were two Nike teams. So, so I was racing with the, um, the little like stepbrother team of the big Nike team, which was Mike Closer's team. Okay. And eventually like we combined forces and Mike, you know, we were racing with Mike's team. And, um, and so we were going to China and that like once or twice a year to race. And um, so those were big races because we, we trained really hard for those because of the prize money. And um, just that we didn't have any, travel expenses either and um and then i did some just like regional races with you know guys for training so like travis macy the guy on on team endure you know the macy's yeah i raced with him wow. and um so yeah it was just a kind of a mix of um doing like regional stuff like I said for training and then um and then doing the bigger races that had like prize money like we went to mexico a few times we went to Europe, um, and and then um, you know that was you know they're 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 pretty expensive to to get to uh, actually so we didn't travel a ton for um, like big races unless they were paying for expenses so um, or unless somebody was so that was that's kind of how how that went but I hadn't done a full blown expedition race until Eco Challenge so what is a full that was a new so full blown to so a long adventure race would be like, um, you know, eco challenge, like, like four to seven days, yeah. a shorter one would be like two to three days. And then we had, we did mostly stage races where we were racing every day, but we were also, you know, we're sleeping in a hotel at night or something, you know, oh. so there's a big difference. <laughs> there's a big difference, but the, <laughs> but the paces are also much higher like it's very it was very intense and um so so like for example when we go to mexico or china and we were doing these stage races like i would be um so for running i was always on a almost always on a tow line um do, do you know what you know what that means i guess they they tie a string around you and pull you <laughs> or something. okay not like the guy in the underwear it wasn't like that <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> not exactly like that um but yeah, we had uh, we have systems for uh, towing on the bike as well as towing on, like running. And um, so I would it was usually me being towed. And um, so yeah, I would just uh, have a carabiner with uh, like a bungee cord kind of thing, like a you know dog leash kind of thing. Um, I'd put that on my pack, and then you know 
run with the with you know whoever was towing me at the time and um it's extremely effective and it's it's uncomfortable for for me because i'm having to adjust like strides and my pace and stuff like that but it's it's, it's super effective and then biking it's easy because you're on wheels so um but it's 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 great it's, it keeps you all together so it's it's a good really good system what were the what's the prize money for those chinese china races oh gosh so they had like stage money and um top three i, I don't we would come home with like um i don't know we 25 to 35 grand oh really wow um and and yeah like i said they would pay it all in like Benji, so we felt like we felt like you know drug lords so you have all the money on the bed we counted out huh you'd be bringing a, a backpack full of cash home yes I, i'm like yeah and That's good. i was like well what if we have more than ten thousand dollars and i'm like well you know it's no big deal like just just hold on to your backpack <laughs> um make sure you keep that that thing tight yeah um but yeah, it was it was a uh, it was pretty funny. Um, and you know, we were gone for like a week. But I mean, for us, like we were just uh, at the time, like that was a, a great paycheck for the week, you know. Sure. And uh, loved training for it. So wow. the training didn't, you know, that was didn't even seem like work. It was it was just fun. How do you prepare for something like this? What I do is is uh, um, basically the first step is like knowing what all is going to be in the race and. Um, and how much, if, if you know, like about how much you think is gonna be for each event. So for, for Fiji, for example, we did a lot of paddling and, and we knew that it was gonna be like outrigger paddling. So we were um, we were paddling canoes and I actually had an outrigger to paddle as well, but um, but we, we practiced that and we, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we had the, if you have the technique down and you're fit, I think, that really helps a lot. So you have to get work with somebody that knows what they're, you know, that knows the technique. And um, and then, you know, basically like biking, like I know I'm gonna, I can bike, but no matter what, I, I'm gonna be able to bike, I'm gonna be able to, to bike pretty well. And then I, so I, personally, I spent a lot of time on my feet before Fiji, cause I knew that was gonna be a lot of trekking. And you just wanna have your body used to like that impact and like, and like, you know, walking with a pack and then like knowing what's going to happen with your feet. And so I, I would run through all the creeks. I would, I did, you know, I make sure, you know, run, run with my feet wet. And, um, I just try to like plan for, you know, some of the elements that, you know, I, that we were going to have in Fiji. And I think that was really, I mean, as far as like fitness goes and as far as, um, just the physical part of it, like we, you know, we were all like really good with that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, I mean, that was good to, um, that was good to know. Cause I was, I was actually quite worried about the, the paddling cause we were, we were not the best paddling team, but I think because of our fitness, we, we had an awesome paddle. Like we were, you know, the first on the first day of the, uh, the race. So, um, yeah, then, uh, Fave's team flipped over, didn't they at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, they they flipped over. We they were right next to us when um, they flipped over, and uh, they was you know it like they're gonna they're gonna pull back up pretty quick no matter what. So they flipped over, got back in, and it was just so chaotic at the start because we were they had us in this like really narrow channel by design, I'm sure. <laughs> so we have these awkward boats that nobody knows that's nobody no one's paddled before, <laughs> and. Uh, with these big amas and we're trying to get out of this canal without hitting each other and um yeah they flipped over so but, but i didn't feel too bad for him after i i was like oh that sucks you know and because you don't want go, go i don't want it to happen to anybody <laughs> really you know you don't want anyone to have like bad luck like that but yeah. um but then here they come like halfway through the first stage they're you know hey guys hey mites you know so uh how heavy is your pack that you train with I I don't know. I um actually never <laughs> weighed it, but I I tried to to um like when I raced Fiji, I didn't carry. I carried 
the least amount of weight. Like they, the guys carried most of the mandatory gear and I had a pretty light pack. I don't know what it was like, maybe 15 pounds or something. I have no idea, but it, it, it was definitely didn't seem too cumbersome. And what was the longest, uh, trekking training trek, <laughs> the longest <laughs> training trek you did with pack and getting your feet wet and all that for training? Um, I did, you know, just on my own, I would do like, you know, somewhere between like alternate between like 12 miles and 20 miles, you know, somewhere in that range. And then we did, um, I did with, with my teammates, Mike and Josiah, um, we did a trek from Vail to Aspen. And so that was like a three day thing where we had pretty like quite heavy packs. Like we had all of our camping gear and stuff in there. So, Hmm. um, we were we weren't running per se, but we did a little bit of, you know, like the downhills. We kind of jogged those, and then, um, and then, you know, just hiked the uphills. But yeah, that was a good that was a good training for sure. Wow, was that straight through, or did you camp at night? Yeah, we camped. I mean, we do it right. We had like, you know, wine and margaritas were also there, <laughs> and we weren't like being super, you know, <laughs> anal or anything. That's but cool. it's got to be fun, right? Applying for the Fiji race, what was that like, that whole application process for you guys? Hmm. Well, Mike had already, uh, Mike Closer had applied early before I even knew that it was happening. And um, originally he had applied with like, I basically, he basically put a team together that was all past like eco winners. And because um, Mike's won it three times um, in the past. Oh, wow. So, he put a team together that had, had everyone in, on the team had won it before, but then it ended up kind of, it just didn't work out with, with those, with those guys. So he still had his, the application was under, under his name was his team. So mm-hmm. he, um, so he asked, so I knew it was happening and I was just like, Oh, some folks are saying, Oh, I bet you're going to get an invite for Fiji. I'm like, there's no way I can do Fiji. Like, you know, <laughs> I was just like, there's no way the timing is t- bad. And when she was at work to train that much. And then um, it was like right after tax season in April, he called me and asked me to um, do Fiji. And I was just like, I was about to say, you know, it's like on the phone with him. And I was like, you know, I, I'm super honored that you asked me and but I just don't think and blah, blah. And then it's just, we went to we were going on our spring vacation and we went into a Canyon. And so the phone dropped, the call dropped. And so, (laughs) so Kurt, my boyfriend says, was that for eco challenge? I was like, yeah. I was like, there's just, I just don't think I can pull it off. And he was like, you got to do it. I was like, (laughs) Oh, okay. Well you're on board. Okay. For, you know, for me to go. And, And I was like, and then I was just like started to think about it. And it's, it's just a thing I've always wanted to do that I haven't gotten to do yet. And so we got out of the canyon and I waited like half an hour just to be cool. And then I called him back and I was like, Hey, I'm in, you know? And so, wow. so, um, so basically he already, he had the application, but then he, he got the teammates after, you know, in place afterwards. And okay. so Josiah is uh, also in Vail and um, he's like, in, Josiah Middaw, well. Xterra world champion passed in, in, multiple national champion at Xterra. So he's a, he's, he's a beast. He's so good. And then Gordon Townsend. Yeah. So Gordon Townsend, he's, so we didn't, um, we had never met him and Mike, you know, weren't even really familiar with him, but he was a, a recommendation from our tech who had actually won the last eco challenge in Fiji. His name is Neil Jones and he's a Kiwi also. And so he was like, Hey, you should, bring this guy, you know, flash is what, what we call them. And he's got like, a like he was in special forces in um, New Zealand and just good at like survivals, great survival skills and um, just a strong dude. And so, yeah, he was our fourth and also the navigator, like the head navigator. So, um, so that and, and so yeah, the, the only you know thing was that we didn't we didn't know him before we got there. So, um, but that's that happens in an adventure race oftentimes because you lose a teammate and you're like scrambling to find someone. But yeah, so we we got him. So 
Okay, so you didn't have to go through the process of making a video and doing the application and then waiting and biting your nails for two months to get <laughs> you got in. You're, you were just in automatically. <laughs> well, personally, I did because I didn't personally have to go through that, but, um, but I, I, uh, yeah, so this time, yeah, we had, I was like, we have to do a video, what? And, um, and I wished I would have, like, gone online and, like, just Googled, you know, how, how to do a professional Zoom meeting <laughs> before I did the video. Um, I did not do that. And so I wish, I would recommend that to anyone that's, has to do that at some point. <laughs> I, I was, I was awful fidgety and looking around a lot but anyway okay um yeah. <laughs> yeah so um we figure that if if we if we do get in it'll be more based on um on uh us having already been there or, or oh. mike having so much experience than it is going to be on our zoom video i hope <laughs> that's at least that's what we're hoping for so um i'm sure that's the case yeah, uh, and and the more I learn about this, the more I realize, oh, well, I'm just way out. This is totally out of my element. <laughs> I'm not even. We're nowhere near. We know what help this. Is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing is, I think you, I think you can, I think you can get overwhelmed looking at the the full span of the course and and what all like how long it is and. Um, you know all the different disciplines but i think if you if you don't look at it as necessary like as a whole and you think okay like how do we break this down like you know we know we need to we know we need to to do we're going to have trekking we know we're going to have yeah. um some mountaineering and you break that down i mean you're not going to go out i mean it would be silly to just go out and do that's silly but to just try to go out and do a whole week's worth of of mixing it up like that to you know and, and times 10 to get ready for a race like you have to break it down hmm. just like you would um like for me if i'm doing a marathon race okay i'm not going to go out and ride five hours every time i go train you know it's it's going to be little bits here and then longer bits here and i think that's that's a better way to think about preparing for that's good advice yeah you know, for these events yeah just like any big problem break it down in small pieces one by yep. one um, I'm curious about the sleep uh, deprivation and how you guys manage that. Did you budget sleep times throughout the course and kind of what were those budgets if you had them? Well, so we didn't, we didn't talk about sleep and that was one of our mistakes. Um, hmm. And, and I, and, and so Joe said, so the three of us, other than Mike, that the rest of us had never done a long expedition race. So we didn't know really how to plan for that. And I think Mike is just such a natural at it that he, we just didn't think to talk about it. And and on top of, of that, I don't know if you, if y'all know this, but they, uh, we had to use, we had five sleep cards that we had to use. Um, do, do you know about that? No. Part of it? No. Okay. So, um, so they decided, Eco decided that um, every team had to take, a, a, use five sleep cards of three hours each. Ah. And so, and they can only be used at like certain checkpoints. So when they threw that into the mix, Mike was like, well, that could be good or bad. And um, first it was bad. <laughs> um, and uh, because basically um, the, the rules surrounding them were, you know, you couldn't use more than two at one time. And so um, <laughs> it, it, it was like, okay, you know, it, it and we didn't, like I said, we didn't really discuss it. And then all of a sudden we're like in the race and we're making um, gut decisions at times. And so I was, I was concerned about the sleep deprivation, but I, I knew I could go like 48 hours and I would be okay with that. But then I'd probably need to like, now's, now's the time to sleep, you know? Ugh. And um, in some ways you can kind of lose track of time a bit. Like um, I was pretty good at, um, I'm a, <clears throat> being a numbers person, I was keep kind of keeping track in, in my head and I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, it's been like so and so many hours. And um, so yeah, we kind of messed that up. Like when we hit the ropes section, it was, we were on like almost 50, almost 60 hours without sleep. So wow. 
that was not good. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I was having some weird stuff going on in my head. Yeah. Like lucid dreaming is, is it wasn't hallucinating, but um, I looked it up and I think it was, it was what they call lucid dreaming. And I was just like, oh man, I cannot, yeah. <laughs> like I'm alert, but I, I can't keep the order straight of everything that I'm trying to do right now. Um, so that was tough. It was, it was pitch black. It was pouring down rain oh. and we were, we were ascending 3000 feet and oh, that was gosh. pretty brutal. Yeah, that was a really exciting part of the the show. I really enjoyed that part. Just trying to get my trying to put myself in your shoes doing that. It was really hard. Well, like and even yeah. on the show when we did like an overnight thing, I just tend to fall asleep and on the oars or wherever, I just fall asleep. So I can imagine myself on the bike just <laughs> fall asleep, falling over. <laughs> it happens. It 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 definitely happens. Like I I was we were on the paddle boards the the first night and um and I was, so I was uh, tethered to Mike's board. So we just, we could stay together, you know? And, um, and I just like fell asleep standing up. I fell asleep to hit the board. And Mike was like, what happened? I was like, oh, I just, I just fell down for a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I like hit the deck and I was like, oh, okay, wake up. <laughs> wow. It's pretty funny. And I know nutrition throughout this whole thing while you're moving constantly is a really, really powerful tool to make sure you can keep going. So what is your nutrition plan and how do you manage that? Well, a lot of it came from experience um, and, you know, doing like these kind of races. And um, so we, um, gosh, to be honest, we eat a lot of kind of like junk food. Um, mm. Like we go to the store, we'll buy like potato chips, like, um, you know, snicker bars, like just anything, anything that you want to throw into your mouth, like salty stuff is really good. Mm. So that's why you buy potato chips. Um, but so, so when we're packing for, um, like a stage when we're basically, we had the, you know, we had the checkpoints where we stop and we pack our bags. And I mean, we just have like kind of pre-made sandwiches, like peanut butter and jelly. Um, Josiah brought like a bunch of uh, drink mix kind of stuff that was super high calorie kind of recovery type of stuff. Oh. And that was really good. Um, in hindsight, like we did not bring enough food, uh, mainly because we we were thinking we wouldn't be out there as long as we were for each stage. Um, so I was always I was so hungry for a lot of the race. Um, but uh, but yeah, the recovery stuff was really good. And then um, I think those MREs are also good. And I've never taken those in a race before, but I definitely will next time. So you know, you like heat up the water and pour it in or and scrunch it up and and you've got a like an actual meal like oatmeal or whatever it is in those packages so yeah. i think those are good to bring because it's just like real food because you're not going to survive on bars and jails like that just gets kind of nasty right. so is it better kind of just to eat and snack along the whole way as you're going or actually take a break and physically eat something I'm kind of a grazer. I'll, I'll just, you know, we're kind of like just shoving food in our mouth, like constantly, like we have, um, um, on the out there packs, there's a lot of, uh, pockets, you know, a lot of in, in, in the front of your, uh, in the front of the packs, so you can like easily access like, you know, your food and you don't even like, you don't have to take your pack off. So we're just, I'm constantly just shoving food in my mouth. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think that, you know, that and like just having your electrolytes, like having, um, like we, we had, uh, water drops like Xenix is, uh, these are these water drops from, I think Sweden. And, um, so we never carried a lot of water, which was nice. Cause that takes a lot of, that's a lot of weight. So what is it? It's a, like a water purifying. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's, there's that's... this little, like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like the, the old iodine drops, but they're, they work really quickly. Like you just put a, you know, a couple drops in your bottle and then you just, you didn't have to shake it. You wait like a minute and you can drink the water. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, that was, that was really nice. Um, oh and you have to know that there's water sources for sure, but. So there's pretty much water everywhere that you can just like refill and then put this in and then you're good to go. I mean, for the most part, um, and they were, I feel like they were pretty good about telling us that there's, if there, if there was a section where there wasn't water, like, like wasn't accessible water on the course, then I think they would, they might've told us that before. And I can't quite remember, mm -hmm. but 
there was in Fiji, there was plenty of places to get water. So we were, we were okay there. Well, Gretchen, this has been really valuable information for us. We really appreciate it. We've, I think we've held you captive long enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we let you go though, um, was wondering if you could tell us of any books that have been impactful for you that you might want to share. Oh, okay. Um, well, one of them that I think had kind of crossed my mind actually when I saw that question is um, Travis Macy wrote a book called The Ultra Mindset. Ooh. And it's kind of just like a good read is telling some stories about adventure racing, but also just some good advice. And um, so that one is, I would, I would recommend picking that one up just to get a, a, a more inside look into adventure racing if, if that's what you're um, interested in. And um, another book that I read um, fairly recently, like I, I read it before, um, where before Kurt and, and those guys did the uh, the speed run on the Grand Canyon uh, is the Emerald Mile, hmm. and that's about the dory that held the dory that held the speed record on Grand Canyon for oh many years. Awesome, <laughs> that's great. You might have yeah. heard of that. It's uh, Kevin yeah. Fedarko is is the um, author, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot of you know it's a lot about the history of Grand Canyon and also um, just the. <laughs> Just the adventure down the river, it is just, oh, it was just gripping for me, uh, having done Grand Canyon a couple times. So anyway, those are, those are two good ones. Awesome. Thank you very much. You're okay. welcome. And it's been an awesome talk to talk to you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs>